It's time for a legendary introduction. Welcome to Unpacking the Box. I really think nobody does it better. Join the conversation as we cover everything from life and relationships. All a woman wants is a choice. Inspiring interviews. That just hit me. Wow. And everything in between. Just keeping it real. We keeping it all the way real. Whoa. Now let's start unpacking. This is Linnea, your host, and welcome back to Unpacking the Box podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in 10, 9, Tonight, I'm here with OBGYN and health and wellness coach, Dr. Sharon Smith. Hello, Queen. Welcome. Well, hello. How are you? Thank you. You are welcome. Welcome to Unpacking the Box. I'm so happy to have you. I am actually so happy to be here. Yes. I thought this would be a perfect time. I've been been wanting to get like a doctor on here for so long just to get some information out to to my ladies out there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And I enjoy learning stuff too as well. So this this is so amazing. Um, Where are you from? Well, I was born in the Eastern Caribbean in a tiny, tiny twin nation um, island called Antigua and Barbuda. Yes, and I hear the accent. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So let's start here. Like, what inspired you to become an OBGYN? You know, have, my interest has always been in women's health science, women's health, and particularly transferring um, like the scientific idea and a benchtop research to medicine, to helping um, people and primarily women. And funny enough, I am one of the few people who went into medical school knowing what specialty they wanted and never changed their mind. So when, when, you know, just the whole process of applying to med school, I always wanted to be an OBGYN. It's just, it, it's my passion. It's what resonate with me, you know, taking care of women. And I actually never wavered from that. The only other field that interested me was surgery, but I operate on women. So, you know, I'm still, I'm still, I'm a female surgeon and I operate on women. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's awesome. So, uh, so I know that you have a special interest in PCOS, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and I know that that's a is it polycystic ovarian syndrome? Yes, that's it is, right. Okay, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, I just wanted to know, you know, for those who don't understand fully, what is that, and how does it affect our health? Okay, so um, PCOS or polycystic ovarian um, syndrome is actually one of the most common endocrine disorder in women. It affects actually about five to 10% of women. And that actually really depends on the population that they study. So uh, PCOS is a syndrome um, 
that has different components, uh, can have more than one components, can have, um, you know, sometimes some women present with a no period or minimum period per year, um, high testosterone, um, which a lot of that you see by um, like a lot of like facial hair and sometimes like a male pattern type of hair loss. Um, another criteria that we use is, um, you know, when we look at the ovaries in an ultrasound, it's an ovary that has a lot of, um, you know, a cyst of follicles, really, not really cysts, it's the follicles. Mm -hmm. And we really need, we use two, of, two out of those three criteria to, um, to diagnose um, the syndrome. But, you know, it, it's, PCOS is, can be different from different for different women. Sometimes some women also present not only with a menstrual irregularity, sometimes with um, obesity, um, you know, and other metabolic syndrome. Um, so sometimes it's just, you know, you, they, a woman can present different from one, um, from one to the next. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a way or like some things we can do as women to prevent this? Or is it something that just, it just happens? Um, I'm not really sure on preventive measures. I think one of the, one of the things that we can do to prevent that is, you know, just kind of controlling what we eat from a holistic um, um, point of view and controlling your weight. Now, not all women with polycystic ovarian syndrome are overweight. So um, sometimes even like the presentation itself um, can become confounding in women who are not obese um, and then kind of, you know, help even delay the diagnosis of, um, of PCOS. But for me, the, the prevention becomes, you know, like a holistic, uh, healthy lifestyle, um, healthy weight, um, you know, and just kind of watching what you eat. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, which is like so hard for a lot of us. <laughs> it, it is, it, it is, is, but we, we just, we have to, we have to fight it. You know what I mean? We, yeah, we, we just do. have to, yeah, we just have to, to fight it. Now, what types of, now let's say we are, you know, you have a woman that has PCOS, um, what types of treatment options would be available? Okay, so her treatment is going to depend on what her polycystic ovarian syndrome looks like. So mm -hmm. let's say she has a lot of cysts in her ovaries and she is hyperandrogenic, meaning she has high levels of testosterone. So that patient um, weight loss will probably help her and a like a hormonal birth control pill would help her also um, decrease like um, the hirsutism or the, the overgrown growth of hair. Um, so it just depends on what your polycystic ovarian syndrome looks like. So it's not like a one size fit all diagnosis and not a one size fit all treatment. It's going to depend on what your PCOS looks like. Mm -hmm. But there, but are there like a variety of options available? Like not not necessarily like surgical procedures, but like are there, is there like medicine or other things? That yes, can like do? yeah, okay. like medicines. Um, so if you're hyper, uh, if you have hyperinsulinemia, we may we may um, prescribe like diet, exercise, um, metformin, um, you know, birth control pills that will help you also. 
um, even women who has uh, who have um, you know hirsutism or terminal here, you can put them on a um, birth control also, and then also electrolysis to help with the hair. Um, if you're one who is um, overweight, then you know dietary changes, exercise also would help that particular um, PCOS patient. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, so let's get into pap smears, which I know all of us women love to get. It's <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> but um, so aside from, you know, a well visit check, what are some symptoms that would warrant a pap smear? Irregular bleeding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, irregular bleeding, or actually, if you just haven't had a pap smear in a long time. I don't think any woman should go beyond the recommended three to five years, you know, uh, mm -hmm. without a pap smear. And I have women who come every year for their pap smear. And I still encourage that. Um, but it really, sometimes a woman will present with um, just irregular bleeding, um, you know, and, and, and upon, you know, taking the history, you just kind of assess like when was the last time they had a pap smear um because that can be a you know like a dysplasia can be a reason um for like an irregular bleeding so that becomes part of it also mm -hmm. um yeah. yeah now so can we talk about the hpv which um there's been a lot of talk about that and i don't think a lot of people understand you know what that is and how it affects like the pap smears and the cervical, um, the cervix and everything like that. So is H, for people who don't know, what is HPV and how, how can you contract that? So HPV is human papillomavirus. Um, it is contracted or transmitted sexually. It is responsible for cervical dysplasia or abnormal cells on the cervix, cervical cancer, and also some head and neck cancers. Mm. And also even anal cancer also. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now that's new. I, I never knew about the head and the neck. And you said the anal? Yes. Yes. Wow. wow. That's something new. So now, and then when you, when, so when a woman has a pap smear and let's say she, um, it's abnormal because of HPV, like what, what are like, what is something, what are some treatment options for that? Does that I mean, because I've heard of like cryosurgery before, like doing mm -hmm. cryosurgery. And so I just was wondering about that. I think that's interesting. Um, is that, is HPV something that I guess can just be maintained? I mean, can't you can't rid it, rid it completely, correct? Um, yes. Let me just backtrack and add that um, HPV also causes genital warts. Certain strands of HPV does call like it causes anogenital um, works also. Mm -hmm. So um, for a patient who contracts HPV, um, it, okay, so it also, it just depends because a lot of people have been exposed, most of the population is sexually active, have been exposed to HPV at some point in time mm -hmm. in, in their life. So, so what I do is I follow the guidelines, the screening guidelines for a pap smear. So if a patient comes back um, based on guidelines, abnormal uh, pap smear with HPV positive, then they need a colposcopy even before we get to even considering cryosurgery. Mm -hmm. So what a colposcopy is, is that I take a microscope and I put acetic acid on the 
um, the cervix and areas that um, appears a characteristic um, white because the cells uptake that acetic acid, I biopsy those areas. And there are criteria that we use to have an adequate colposcopy. For example, I have to see the endocervical canal, which is a canal in the cervix that leads from the outside, from the, the, endos, the exocervix, meaning the outside of the cervix, into mm -hmm. the uterus. So part of the whole guidelines to for an adequate colposcopy is to be able to see that, um, that area. So um, with that said, once you do your biopsy, um, you know, it just depends on what the biopsy comes back as. If it's mild, then I'll, you know, you watch it, you repeat your pap smears. Mm -hmm. um, if it's severe, uh, um, what we call um, um, CIN, two, three, then that patient needs a leap. If it's a CIN1, I repeat the past minute. And occasionally I may do a cryosurgery if it comes, if it keeps coming back CIN1, uh, which is like a, a mild form of dysplasia. You, you know, I might end up doing cryosurgery or if it sometimes, if it's persistent like that over time, I may end up still doing a, um, a leap biopsy just to just make sure get a, a better sample and make sure that there's not like a worse dysplasia that we're uh, missing. Wait, oh my goodness. We were talking about cryosurgery and we didn't even discuss what that is. Okay, I'm gonna help out here a little bit. Cryosurgery is a surgery using the local application of intense cold to destroy unwanted tissue. All right, let's take a commercial break and then we'll go back to Dr. Smith. There's over 80% of Americans who believe they have a book inside them, but getting the book done and published is a matter of discipline and know-how. Getting the book into as many hands of targeted readers, well, that's a matter of authority positioning. I'm Akitria, self-publishing coach and consultant and founder of On Writer's Block. I've helped over 20 indie authors across the U.S. in the areas of book publishing, manuscript editing, and coaching to achieve new levels in their author journeys, and I'm here to help you in your author journey as well. I've authored a program exclusively for you that teaches actionable methods that resolve your self-publishing and platform growth needs in one central place. I present to you the book method, self-publishing and authority positioning simplified. You will complete the program with expert level self-publishing knowledge, learn how to produce a bookshelf ready book and applicable methods to establish brand identity and brand messaging that will aid you in building a target readership to sell your book to. The days of piecemealing proper book publishing together and building your readership are over when you join me inside the book method. Visit me at onwritersblock.net to join the waitlist or follow me on Instagram at onwritersblockpwps for updates. You can also click the link in the podcast episode to join the waitlist and receive a coupon code to save on the program when enrollment opens. I look forward to seeing you inside the method. So the important thing here, the caveat, the take home here that I like to give to my patients and I do all the time, I said, okay, you know, I go through the whole educational process of, you know, the pap smear, what it is, why we do it, you know, this is abnormal, what my concerns are and the follow-up, right? So once I get the patient to understand the, the whole purpose of me doing what I do, and to me that that, that education, that information empowers the patient to know. And like, even if you don't like me, mm -hmm. I get it. That's okay. I just want you to be able to follow up. So just know this is what we have. This is what we're dealing with. And we just need to follow up. 
you know, on the abnormal pap smear. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good information. Now, what would what would um, make a pap smear test come back like a false positive? Because I because I've heard like you're not supposed to go like when you first stop your cycle, your menstrual cycle. Yeah. That does not um, that does not make a, a pap smear comes back abnormal. Okay. On your cycle, you it may obscure the reading because if the sample has a little bit is a little bit too bloody, then the, the pathologist may not be able to read it. But that's not that does not make your your pap smear come back abnormal. Um, they just you know you get a, a thing of you know un, undetermined can't read obscured by by um, by blood and and they have to repeat the pap smear. Occasionally, in a postmenopausal woman who has atrophic cells or cells that's devoid of um, of estrogen, I may get an atypical reading. So sometimes what I do, I may treat them with a short course of estrogen, repeat the pap smear, and it's normal. But typically, like um, blood will not make a pap smear abnormal. Does not it just may obscure it? Or if sometimes you use gel you know, um, to just make, make it a little bit more comfortable for the patient, the gel can obscure the pap smear. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I, I was actually told by a doctor, the, the menstrual part about that could have made it abnormal, but I, I no longer see that doctor, but <laughs> thank you for this information. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know about that, but, um, Yes. So now what about birth control? So when choosing birth control, because a lot of us, you know, we can never decide, first of all, if we want to get on birth control and if we do, like what kind of birth control we should use. So what should we be considering when we're thinking about birth control? So for birth control um, consideration, um, I always look at the health of the patient. Like, you know, what are your health concerns? What, you know, what are your health conditions? Um, your age. Um, sometimes I even ask patients what they've used before that has worked for them and what they've used that didn't work or what they don't like. So because there's so many birth controls on the market, um, you know, sometimes you can try to, you know, flip-flop the one, two, three different, trying different ones to find one that actually truly works for the patient. So then there's just so many different things to consider, like your, your you know, um, your medical condition, age, what you'd like, you know, what you'd like, what you've tried before, and even like your, your plans for childbearing um, is another considering for, consideration for uh, birth control choices. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because the main, like when I've been talking to like my girlfriends, one of their main concerns they bring up is the, all the side effects that birth control has, which, you know, all medicines come, but you know, side effects, but mm-hmm. the main, um, their main fear is like the, like blood clots and like gaining a lot of weight. Um, so it's always just, you know, kind of hard deciding which one to go with. Um, yes, I understand. I mean, I, I understand that. So this is why you take the history. Um you know, because in, in uh, a patient who's had like a family history of someone in the family history with a stroke or heart attack at an early age or a blood clot or history of a blood clot, that's not a candidate for like combination birth control pill or like the patch, the Nuvering. Um, So they may, they're, you know, a better candidate for like an IUD. So it just, comp- it just depends on the medical condition of the patient. 
mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes even their, their own preference and their, you know, their plans also for childbearing and, you know, if they want long-term birth control or not, or like, for example, like a teenager um, who comes in for birth control, then I would have to really assess, I mean, besides, you know, you know, mm-hmm. the health condition and most teenagers are healthy. Like, are you going to take a pill every day? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you going to get up and you're going to take your pill at a certain time every day versus, oh, um, should we be considering a next or, or implanon that you can basically set it and forget it, you know, for the next three years. And even an IUD is acceptable for a teenager. Just depends. Mm-hmm. Some, were, some are okay with it. Some are not. But, you know, it just depends on the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Uh, now let's talk about fibroids for a little bit that, um, you know, a lot of us deal with uh, as women, especially after birth and things like that. So could you talk a little bit about fibroids, like the causes, the symptoms? So we don't know exactly the cause of fibroids, but what we do know is that a large percentage of Black women do end up with fibroids, right? So fibroids are benign growth, meaning non-cancerous growth in the uterus. And um, the location of the fibroid or basically your symptoms sometimes depends on the location of the fibroid. So for fibroid is really location, location, location. Um, So if you have a, a fibroid that's outside of the uterus, then you know, it depends on how large it is. It may impact um, bulk in terms of you, um, depends on how large it is. If it's like just a, like, you know, a heavy, big fibroid, then it may cause some compression, you know, that type of stuff and cause discomfort for the patient. Um, it's, if it's a fibroid that's within the walls of the uterus, it may not cause um any issues, it depends. And also if it's a small fibroid, two centimeters, five centimeters, five centimeters is kind of um, like a medium sized fibroid, but it just is really location, location, um, location. Um, and if it's a fibroid that's located within the cavity of the uterus, that may cause abnormal s- cycles. Um, that may cause infertility issues, mm-hmm. but Mainly if it's located elsewhere, a lot of times it it does not. All right. So now in this, I want to ask you because uh, I was in one of your rooms listening to your group discussion and I thought this was really interesting Um, because a lot of times, you know, when we're searching for doctors and any doctor, it could be any doctor, we're going with the first one we see that's covered under our insurance. And we're not really thinking about like, you know, researching the doctor we're just going because you know a lot of us we're just going there because it's on our insurance so what advice would you give to someone who's in the process of searching for a doctor um so you you know and and that's that's kind of a hard one because sometimes um first you want to look at qualifications and the truth be told you know, we are all trained, we're all qualified, we all had to go to, to residency, or we had over 16,000 hours of training. Um, you spend a lot of man hours, you know, taking care of patients. So a lot of doctors have the knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it may be a personality fit, 
you know, mm-hmm. some some want a female, some want a ma- some don't care if it's a female, male, you know, race, creed, or or, or other, you know. So it's really going to depend on the person and what they're looking for, mm-hmm. right? Um, like a lot of times, I often often hear like it's really hard to find black female doc OBGYNs. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or someone would say, I don't care, you know, who my doctor is, as long as he's a good doctor. And then another thing is that, you know, you have to vibe and gel with your doctor. Does the doctor listen to you? Because that's another complaint that I hear about. And in the defense of doctors, it's not that we don't listen to patients. I think a lot of times they're under the, they're like the gun of, you know, you have a lot of patients and you got to see your patients. So, Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's hard balancing it, yeah. right? But most physicians, we in medicine, you know, because we want to be, it's a calling. We're benevolent, mm-hmm. you know? So, but sometimes we, I know we come off as, you know, we don't care or as we're, we're washed. And it's not that we have intentions of coming off like that. So, you know, those, I know those are some of the things that really patients look for, um, you know, so I, I know sometimes, and if that pay, if that physician does not jive or gel with you, then you know, I find a, you know find another one. If you think your physician is not looking for you, find another one. But it's hard to tell just from looking at an insurance list or mm-hmm. looking at online to figure out, okay, is this person like really going to be the person that that that's you know that fits me? Um, but what I would tell people I'll tell you know um, my advice especially women who are considering childbearing and this person have to walk you through a pregnancy start going to them for well woman exams you know so that means you kind of get to know your physician over time mm-hmm. you know if you have a problem you know see a physician don't just wait to show up when you're pregnant and that will be my advice because now you know because pregnancy is like you form this kind of intimate relationship mm-hmm you know, with your doctor. So you want it to be a good relationship. So I think that relationship actually starts way before the pregnancy. So I would start looking for a physician even before that. Mm-hmm. That's my advice. That's great advice. Listen, you've given me some great information. I have learned so much and I know the audience is going to learn as well. Yes, I love it. Um, now, before I let you leave, though, it's something that I like to do with every guest that graces the podcast. It's a segment I love to call Unpack Your Box. And basically, that's where you get one minute to, you know, say whatever you want to say, last encouraging words, whatever you feel compelled to release. Okay, so for me, um, I am a board certified obstetrician gynecologist, and my goal is to help um, pregnant and reproductive age women enjoy a healthy pregnancy and work towards a healthy pregnancy to prevent or uh, minimize any, you know, adverse um, events. And also as a health coach, my goal is to minimize, um, you know, the, the lifestyle um, things that we do that would negatively um, affect you, not only just the pregnancy itself, but your entire life going, going forward. So that is really truly my goal and to just inform, educate and empower women because an informed person, an informed patient, an educated patient is, is an empowered patient. And that's, that's my goal. 
Yes, well, you are doing it, Queen. I want to thank you so much for coming to the podcast to talk with me. Again, I learned so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Yes, of course. Now, tell the people like where they can reach you. You have like websites and all that good stuff. I'm actually working on my personal website, so that should be up in a couple of weeks. But I'm on Instagram. My name Sharon Smith MD on all social media. Yes, keep up with her, you guys. She's amazing. She always does these great group uh, conversations on Clubhouse. I mean, it's, she gives a lot of information. Um, you know, so please make sure that you keep up with her. Before you leave, keep up with your girl on Instagram at unpacking underscore the underscore box underscore podcast. You can also email me if you like at unpacking the box podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you are enjoying the show, if you were a guest on the show, you know, if you just 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 love the show, make sure you leave me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts specifically. I don't know if you can do it on the other platforms, but I know for sure you can on Apple. So yes, do that for your girl, especially if you're enjoying it, you know, let me know. All right, y'all be well.